Welcome to the Transform Sales Podcast, where forward-thinking business leaders come to share their experiences and ideas, learn from each other, and amplify their results together. Hey guys, what's up? Amir Ryder here for the Transform Sales Podcast. I got my guest, Jeremy Ruch from Bandelier. Did I pronounce your last name right? Uh, it's actually, so it's pronounced Roosh, but as okay. you can probably imagine with a name like that, you get more oh, That's what I said, wasn't it? Yeah. It's, uh, you know, and it, it's definitely not how cool. it was originally pronounced back in the day in Poland or wherever, so I wouldn't worry about it. I was about to ask ChatGD before, but how did I pronounce this? It's turning, it's turning into like my life secretary now. But it's good seeing you again, man. I think it's been uh, two to three years since we we first chatted. Colleagues in the industry at the time, both running sales agencies. Now I got a marketplace, and you got a, one of the top growing sales agencies out there. I really happy to have you on the show. Um, how are you doing today, man? How's everything going? Where, where are you based? It's good to see, man. So I'm based in uh, in New York, which means, you know, I think uh, last time I checked it was 48 degrees. Uh, so, uh, yeah, when I talk to people who are in Austin, I had a call earlier today, San Diego, uh, Columbia, uh, you know, you begin to, ask, this is the time of year you begin to ask yourself. I was born in New York. I was born in New York and I was a lacrosse player. And I remember like playing lacrosse in the beginning of the season. You're like running on snow and your shins are broken and then it's like too hot. New York's awesome. Um, I love the city. I love the place. But uh, yeah, I think I spent the last you know a few minutes talking to you, trying to convince you to come down to Medellin. I'm not done. <laughs> not a, not I'm not done with that. I'm going to be pitching you on coming down here. We at least need to get you to be an SQL and come to a demo, which is an onsite yep. in my world. Uh, I got like, a secret deal with the government where they're they're taking care <laughs> of me for for bringing in highly intelligent, sophisticated people down here. But um, appreciate you being here. Just to, for uh, those tuning in. On the show, we love to talk with sales agency owners about the real deal stuff, the mistakes buyers make, who the best clients are, in the hopes that transparency can lead to more efficiency, better hiring practices, better working practices, fatter pipelines, and less of the, uh, I tried outsourcing and it didn't work before victimhood stuff, right? We all hear before, but Jeremy, before I get into that, who are you? How did you get into the lovely business of outsourced sales to begin with? <laughs> Yeah, so I got into it, I, I think a lot, like a lot of folks, because I experienced the pain of being a buyer in the space, right? So prior to this, um, I was managing sort of a hybrid inside sales customer experience organization for a fintech uh, company based in New York City, uh, which is where I'm from. And in short, had my first encounter with what an absolute frigging nightmare it is uh, to build these kinds of teams for fast growing companies. Uh, and particularly, I would say for fast growing technology companies, for fast growing D2C companies based in places like New York City or San Francisco, you know, some of the most expensive places in the country, some of the most expensive places in the world to do business. Um, and not to be competitive. Competitive. Totally. You know, I think the underlying insight was this. You've got hundreds and hundreds of companies competing for exactly the same profile of entry-level folks based in those areas. And in the meantime, one of the things we observed there, you know, is that there's tens of millions of people in small towns throughout the United States uh, for whom access to a role in tech sales or tech customer experience actually still, it's 2023, isn't that accessible, right? Yep. So think about, you go to small towns throughout the US um, and you walk into a hospitality establishment, right? I just did an alumni interview with uh, somebody who came to us from the Cheesecake Factory. 
one of our top performing uh, team members over the last six months uh, and just got hired directly by, by a client. And so it was really sort of observing this pain point as a prospective buyer, because I started looking at vendors that could help me solve this problem. And it felt like a lot of legacy call centers that like, you know, great fit for Verizon maybe, but not really in tune with the needs of, you know, a fast growing uh, tech company or fast growing mm-hmm. B2C company. Um, and felt like there was a real opportunity to sort of build a company that sort of existed as the connective tissue between the talent um, and the companies that needed it. So I love that. So so I, I, I like the fact that you became an expert at the hard thing. Now that's a repeat, that's a repeated pattern, right? Like I, I think I was a better SDR at NetSuite than I was AE, right? And then I I I launched CloudTask. So I think that's a common a common thing between us all is that we're we're really good at uh, a hard thing, right? And then see an opportunity to productize it. And then secondly, I, I think it's nice how you brought together, like not only did you see the fact that you were good at something and you could help take those talents to other companies, but you also saw a supply side opportunity, right? You also saw an opportunity that 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 there was people in the United States that could not obtain these quality of jobs, right? So it's actually part, it's, it's an economy thing, right? I think people fail to talk about the people who create jobs, create opportunities, create wealth, but create you know places for people to get skilled up and walk up the ladder. So um, I love that because, you know, at the marketplace, I have something on my Instagram where it says helping 10 billion, uh, bring in $10 billion of wealth for underrepresented job seekers in Latin America. Now it's global. I focus here as a little Latin America. So I can definitely align with you on that mission. Um, And it's interesting you bring it up because I think back in the day, cities became cities because people, the jobs were there and there was no remote work. Like like cities became cities because you had to actually go to work. So it's like, interesting because nobody really reacted now we were reacting to it with uh COVID and all those things but sounds like you were ahead of the of the game with that one where you're like we don't need to be in sydney anymore we can we can attract really top talent um which makes total sense one of the funny things about new york city is i'm i was born in long island and i remember going to the city as a 13 year old and what the new york city kids called me what do they call people from long island you remember <laughs> they called them many things i was traumatized they called me a cupcake i'll say it we were oh, cupcake. cupcake. Oh, yeah. I actually had not. I was going to go in a different direction. I have not. That's why I said that. it was like 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, no but, kidding. All right. Cupcake. I don't get it. Well, I was a Long Islander, right? So like New York City is just, it, it, people forget that they're so close together, but it's such a different world. Yeah. Or like one's the suburb and one's the New York City, right? So you hop on the train, you're 30 minutes into the biggest city and like you're a cupcake to these guys. That was yeah. just, it's, it's my memory. So you've been battling in the toughest. I can't even last in New York City. It's just like a... I, I basically, I'll get like a $500 ticket, drive my car in like two seconds. Oh, but yeah. That guy, I have plenty of scar tissue from parking uh, and moving by. Yeah, you can't stay in the intersections, but like the light turns green and then the intersection is back and you're like, I'm stuck. And they're like, here's the ticket. It's well, it's and now they actually, they will mail you tickets. This happened to me for the first time uh, last year where I actually got a ticket in the mail because I was on 14th Street, which I did not know was an offense. Uh, I should probably be careful with what I'm saying here because I guess this is, well, it's not a pending legal issue. I, I got to have a cupcake. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> just for being on 14th Street, right? Just stand my um, face. So, like, you're a Long Islander. Dan, <laughs> talk to me about your the type of companies that you guys help. You know, what type of companies and industries are you guys focused on? Is there something specifically that you guys are are helping? What's your 80 20 rule? I want to know, I want to know your 80. What yeah, your 80 totally. Like um, you know, for better or worse, it's largely centered around the types of companies that 
I was or, or that are similar to the stage I was at when I experienced this pain point, right? So generally speaking, we always say we are in the business of solving talent problems for companies rather than like strategy problems, which does differentiate us from you know a lot of agencies, which will say like, hey, we will come in and help you set up this process from scratch. We will help you build an outbound machine that works. We're not in that camp. We work with companies that have some sort of customer facing process that is working. Could be outbound sales, could be inbound sales, could be uh, customer service. Um, really the, the, the sort of the boundary is anything that is customer facing, it needs to be done in the US because we're all US based. Okay. And they're looking to scale that process quickly. Um, and talent is sort of the rate limiting factor in their ability to scale it, that right? So, are, are they software companies or, or are they service? Are they, or is it more like product market fit company? You know, is, is that more of a, is that more of an indicator for who you serve? Yeah. So uh, last time we checked, I think it's 65% of our client base right now, roughly is some type of software company. So yeah, I, I mean, B2B SaaS is a very common one. Think of the world. SaaS, yeah. It's sort of that world. Um, Sounds like usually, product market fit, though, is a bigger thing, right? Because now the company figured out the process, they're ready yes, to scale. Totally. Okay. Yeah, all of our clients, I would say, by and large, have some element of product market fit uh, because that that they're working with us to scale something that's working rather than to, to create something from scratch. Within, within product market fit, and then for anybody listening, in, you know what we mean by product market fit is that you're out of that testing phase. You know that buyers want your product. You know that they're happy. You know that they're referring your friends. I don't even know I gave a good definition, but it's better than no definition. Um, but that's kind of what we mean by it. And there's a lot of indicators that the company has product market fit. Going public usually is one when it's not a pink sheet, right? Um, do, you, do you have any preference with company stage, right? Like if a startup has product market fit, is it, do you look at it the same as if a publicly traded company had product market fit or private equity? Any preferences there or that's less relevant than the product market fit? I would say it's less relevant. We've worked with seed stage companies. We've also worked with publicly traded companies and everything in between. Um, so we've worked with a vast diversity of companies in terms of stage. But I would say the key indeed is that there is some sort of product out there that people need and are using. And as a result, the company is looking. It's a little frustrating when companies hire you with a product that they never tested and nobody wants. And then it's your fault that nobody wants their 17 stage processing technology. People can't be more, you know, like I, I a lot of times you find those uh, product-led CEOs that are like, I built the best product. And we're like, man, you are 0.01% of the world the way you think. And 99.9% don't think about that. They they want to know things like, do you get me off a spreadsheet? You know? Uh, I think like, I guess to like add to that, a big part of it is sort of knowing the game you're playing, right? Like I think there are agencies out there that will say, we will help you test the market for this thing. <laughs> like we will build you a sales process that will help you identify whether or not there is demand out there. And like, I don't want to go, to, I don't, wait, no, I go down. I, I like, I like the product. I don't market. want to be in that business. Like I, I that's like not, it. that is not our business, but there are companies that do that. And like, I'm sure you, you could find one for us though. We are primarily in part because of our focus on like sustainable careers for folks. Yeah. We are, we are really focused on companies that, that have that piece figured out. Yeah. So my second question was what separates you from, from other agencies? You kind of answered it, but I'll pull up the question anyways. Like I deep dive deeper in it just to clarify, because I want to recap what you already said. What sets you already apart is that you, you focus on companies that product market fit. You focus on the concept of like, we need staff, high quality staff, and we need it now. 
um, and you're helping people from um, rural areas get these jobs in America and you're all US based. So that definitely sets you apart. Anything that we missed that further sets you apart that I don't want, you know. Yeah, I, I would say our focus on the talent means that there's a few things that we do and a few areas of focus for us in particular that are a little bit different. So specifically, our recruiting process uh, involves a ton of data that we've collected over a five and a half year period where we're literally able to assess from the time somebody submits an application to Bandelier, goes through our phone screens, goes through our interviews, goes through our training process, we're able to establish uh, numerically uh, sort of a predictive index of how likely they are to be successful in a given role, whether that's customer experience or inside sales. And we is this the proprietary technology that you guys use internally to execute your service or something that is exposed to the customers? Yeah, so we don't, I, I mean, the, the secret sauce, so to speak, is like the questions that we're asking, the way we grade those questions out, um, and the different factors that wind up having or not having, as it turns out, like predictive ability in terms of somebody's, um, or, or, you know, are predictive of somebody's uh, ability to be successful in one of these roles. And so yeah. we built out a process internally that is iterative. I mean, it's learning over time, obviously. And because we actually hire these people and because we actually see how they perform in their roles, we can use that data then filter back into, um, you know, the questions that we're asking and the things that we're grading out in the two weeks of training in Bandelier University to get better and better at this. So we spend a huge amount of time on that, on the talent piece. You know, other agencies might focus on things like which subject lines are performing best or like what talk tracks work best. We're really taking a lot of that energy and focusing it on the recruiting process. So that's yeah. part one. And then part two is our culture uh, is centered around this idea of Kaizen or continuous improvement. So we tend to attract folks who are a little bit more creative and are coming to clients proactively with ideas around how to improve the sales process. The what was that word again? Process. Kaizen? And where was it Kaizen. from? Kaizen. How yep. do we spell it for anybody so listening? K-A-I-Z-E-N. Uh, it is actually a Japanese word. Um, and it it's actually a principle that originates from manufacturing. So I'm a nerd about this and I could go on forever about Kaizen, but um, the, the short of it is this is a, it's actually a practice that originated in American factories in World War II when they're transitioning factories from making cars uh, and trucks uh, to making stuff for the war, like planes, missiles, tanks, yeah. that sort of thing. They created this rule that anyone on the factory floor could suggest an idea for how to improve the efficiency of the overall process, and they would actually implement it. Um, and so that this was so very Elon Muskish, but back in the day, Ooh, right. well, so what's funny about it is it's actually directly juxtaposed against the, the principles before that, which were like you know the Ford production line of make more cars, make more cars, make do not whatever you do stop oh, the line. Yeah. So I like, test something new. This was like no, we actually want to practice innovation. And after the war, they started implementing this in Toyota factories. And they still do this in all Toyota factories all over the world today. And so yeah. we sort of borrowed the, the concept from them. But what it means is you're going to have reps who are, for instance, proactively testing subject lines, proactively testing talk tracks, not just thinking about their roles, like follow a set process, but actually being proactive and, and creative in their day-to-day -day execution of that role. That's and awesome. we find because we work with you know fast-growing companies, that's usually something they're looking for in their team members if they were looking for robots or if they were looking for people to just recite a script, you know, they're going to work with one of those legacy call centers I mentioned earlier. Awesome. I saw a uh, show on Netflix called uh, The Outsider, which was with Jay Leto, where he was like a 
he got into the Kuza mafia and they were like in factories in 1956, like repurposing war stuff. So it's kind of funny how all these stories tie together in some, some kind of crazy way. Um, you mentioned real briefly about companies that you were working with that like maybe brought on some of the staff. Do you, do you offer, or like hearing correctly, where there maybe are situations where after a certain amount of time, staff augmentation happens where they, they kind of go on to that team. Is that part of your process? Is that a, a one-off thing? Is that something you want to talk about? Yes, happens all the time, uh, okay. and I'm very happy to talk about it. We are uh, it's sort what of it's what sets you apart, right? Yes, totally. Like yeah. we um, we are unique in companies, and you know, a lot of companies in our space will have these very strict contracts. You may not hire anybody on our team ever under penalty of death. Like, do not touch anyone on our team. We are exactly we are exactly the opposite of that. So yeah. we tell our clients and our team members from the start we're in the business of connecting people with opportunity. If you have a job client side that enables sort of upward mobility for you, we want you to be able to take that. Um, and so we double as a recruiting agency. Uh, and a lot of companies work with us because it gives them the ability to try before you buy, so to speak. It allows you to I like it. work with somebody right. and then decide whether or not to bring them Look, it's that. very costly to hire, recruit, screen, totally. train. The stats are out there. People are lasting 12 to 18 months at best, yep. right? So now all of a sudden you're like, well, I have an agency that actually has the secret sauce buried in the way it recruits and trains with data. They can get me the results I need. And then I could hire the people full time. Hate saying it, but it sounds like a smart choice for anybody that has product market fit or, or now, you know, I get it right. Like why would you want to spend all that money to train? You're basically just, it's like, it's like, I want to have kids soon, right? Like I love my kids were like two, three years old when they started. It's like the infant stage, right? You're skipping the infant stage, right? <laughs> Think about it, actually. Yeah, uh, it, it gives you the opportunity. The, the kids analogy breaks down because you can't. It's, that's you, true. You don't want to give back their kids. But... Kids when they're like two years old, you know, you like them. <laughs> it's it's true. Um, I I like what you're doing because you know at the end of the day we we look for agencies that specialize and what separates them and and and. And it's nice hearing um, what you do because I, I kind of feel like it's a good fit and I'm, I'm a straightforward person. Probably wouldn't tell you if I didn't, but I do like it. And I think it makes lots of sense. It ties together. It's it's nice when you hear who you were, how you built the company, what your strategies for sourcing, what your principles are and what makes you sets apart. It just makes sense, right? It kind of flows in together, right? So anybody who's listening, if they want to outsource and you have product market fit and you want to eventually bring people in-house because they're your teammates. I promise you that this is a quick shortcut to get probably faster, faster, cheaper, and more efficient. I'm like, if anyone in business is not doing something faster, cheaper, more efficient, you are a candy and you might as well get a job because it's only a matter of time. Talk to me real quickly about mistakes buyers make during the selection. Has there been a mistake that buyers have made over and over again during a selection process where you just wanted to like scream and be like, you're not doing this right. Be a better buyer. Um, if they... Do you make these mistakes? What mistakes have you seen? I'd highlight two, uh, one of which we've already spoken about, uh, which I think the first and, and that's sort of core principle for me is if you have not done something successfully internally, it is generally speaking a bad idea to outsource it. Um, and we see buyers make that mistake all the time where they come in and they're like, well, I want you to figure this out for me. And I'm sure that is successful some percentage of the time, but I think it's, it's a very low success rate. So that, that's number one. I mean, obviously we've designed our model to try and get us away from, from those use cases. The second, which is maybe more applicable across a, a broad array of agencies is 
I think that people tend to view agencies like this in a similar vein to like pay-per-click media efforts, <laughs> like digital media ad buys, where they'll yeah. be like, this is like a jukebox. And if I put 20 cents in, it'll spit out a set number of appointments, right? You and I are used to hearing this from buyer. The type buyer comes in, well, how many appointments am I going to get? And I, and I always tell people like, that's kind of like asking, what is the weather going to be without telling me where you're going to be on earth, what season it's going to be, yeah. you know, and, and so all like, the other- lie to me in the beginning so I can build some yeah, shots. Exactly. exactly. So it, it's a nonsense metric, but I think what people often forget, even besides that is like, you're dealing with human beings here. There's a human process that's going to involve a human being who is representing your brand on the front lines. And so I think people often focus on this like very precise sort of numerical stuff at the outset, rather than focusing on like, what is the actual culture of the organization I'm working with? Like, is yeah. the team member that I'm working with going to like coming into work every day? Like, are they going to like their manager? Is is the training culture well built out? And I can always tell a sophisticated buyer from the outset because they're asking a lot of those questions. They're yeah. not, they're focused on like, tell me a little bit about your recruiting process. Oh, interesting. You have this, like, what traits are you identifying? What kind of questions are you asking? What does your training process look like? And then they're going on, online and they're reading about our team members they're looking at our case studies they're looking at what our team members say about us because you learn as much about the company from what team members say about that's them as from what clients yeah. totally so i think that's one big piece people often miss is like focus on the culture of the organization they're planning to work with because at the end of the day it's going to be it's going to be a human being on the other side of the so but let's let's convert that to like a, a mistake right it would be they're buying with short-term strategy right it's like it's a it's a short-term outlook strategy. They're de-emphasizing um, the human piece, I think. Like, I, I think the biggest mistake people make is they ignore the human piece of, of this process and they view it as like some sort of machine that they'll be able to put a quarter into and it will spit something out while ignoring the fact that like, actually it's, it's gonna be a human being in the iterative process. That makes sense, that makes sense. Um, this has been all, all been great, I, 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 um, I think that for us, I think finding out that what you guys do has been great. I hope buyers have been uh, delighted with the way they find out. If if uh, anybody who fits your criteria wants to learn about your culture, even a sales agency that wants to get into being a sales agency and loves your strategy or loves what you're doing to help people get jobs, how can they reach out to you? Where can they find you? And how can they how can they connect with you? Hopefully hire you. But if not I hire you, at least give you a like on social media. <laughs> yep. So we're on, you know, LinkedIn. LinkedIn's a great way to, re to reach me. Um, I'm pretty responsive there. Uh, my email is easy to guess. It's jeremy at bandelier.co. Um, you know, always enjoy hearing from folks. So yeah, don't hesitate to reach out to me on, on those email. LinkedIn's probably the best two channels to, to get at me. And uh, yeah. Well, I look forward to having you in more episodes because we actually have a nice series with John Barrow starting that's going to get into sales efficiency oh, nice. and training. So I'm going to be inviting you on to that one. He's a big fan of you too, I think. I just, you know. Yeah, we've. Uh, it's funny. I, you know, it feels like years ago at Bond Street. It must have been twenty six. Was years ago? It was twenty sixteen when I think he just uh, released his training academy. Yeah, uh, and I was just super impressed back then. And and yeah, we've been in touch with his team. We're getting you on that show, and you're going to talk. You're going to talk about changes on the hiring training because that that's actually a big part of your company. That's what separates you. It's the way you handle, the way you bring people in, the way you process them, train them. It's up set up for the long term, right? Um, which is great. So everybody, uh, you, you heard it from Jeremy. You want to reach out to him. LinkedIn is the best. And I appreciate you for being on the show. 